0: So, so the president of the seminary that I went to, his name's Chuck Swindoll, and he used to tell this story, and I, I love it. It cracks me up. He, he said that there was a woman um, that was uh, lonely, and um, she was a little bit older, and she was looking for companionship, so she decided to go to the local pet store. And there, the pet store, she probably thought she was going to pick up a cat or a dog, but the, the owner of the pet store um, talked her into purchasing this expensive parrot. Uh, And so she buys this parrot And he says to her In the process of purchasing this parrot He said, this parrot will talk your ear off Um, And he sold her this expensive uh, cage for the parrot And um, over time, she took the parrot home And she was really disappointed Because he didn't say much uh, of anything And so she went back to the pet store And as she walks through the door He says, oh, you're back Is that parrot just talking your ear off? And and she says, no, I haven't heard him say a word And he says, okay so, so what you're missing is that parrot needs a ladder. It needs some exercise. And so she bought an expensive ladder, takes it back, puts it in the cage, and, um, and nothing happens. So she goes back and he says, okay, what the parrot really needs is it needs um, socialization. Let's get an, a mirror. So he sold her a mirror. And there are a couple other things this process going back and forth. And, and finally, the, the parrot dies. And so she goes back to the pet store and, and she goes through the door. He's the, the pet owner. And finally, right, that the, the parrot's talking your ear off, right? And she says, no, actually, he's not. In fact, he died. And um, so the pet store owner says back to her, did he ever say anything to you? And she said, well, actually, the last sentence that he said was, don't they have any food at that pet store? I think that's that's pretty good. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about something that may be challenging for some of us, and it is... A recognition of our assumption of what other people are longing for, what they need. The assumption that other people have things, in this case it's something that was a necessity, um, but that there's things in other people's lives that are around us, our neighbors, the community that's around us, our family members, our co-workers, that there are things that matter to them. There are things that are significant and important to them. And I want you to see something as we study, as we continue our study, Laugh Again series, as we're going through the book of Philippians, a book that's just chuck full of joy and encouragement and affirmation written by a man who himself was suffering to a group of people who are going to be going through some really difficult times. That one of the things that we get to see when we study this thing together is that actually the Lord wants you and I to be people who actually recognize and are aware of the things that are valuable to the people that are around us. In fact, it's appropriate for us to say that what matters to others ought to matter to you and I. And I think when I first hear that statement, when I say that even, that for some of us, we're like, well, wait, wait a second. We don't, we don't always agree with the people that are around us. They have maybe different views or values, that there are things about them that, that we would resist. And I'm not telling you that you have to embrace what matters to the people around us, but that you and I should be people who pay attention to what the people who are around us are paying attention to. And the Apostle Paul, the man who penned the words that we're going to study together today, had this wonderful encounter that's recorded in God's word in the book of Acts chapter 17. And in that encounter, he is in a place that was saturated with idolatry, actually a horrific form of evil that misunderstands who God truly is. And there was this altar that was described in Greek on it or in writing on it that said it was to the unknown God. Now, the Apostle Paul grew up as a faithful Jewish man. It would have been repellent for him to see this this altar that was representing a form of worship that was far away from the worship that he had. But you know what he did not do? Was he did not stand in front of that and say, how could you? But instead, what he chose to do, we know this from Scripture, is that he said, oh, I, I know that God. I know him. And then he went on to introduce them to the God of the universe. And I think there's something about that kind of winsomeness and that appropriateness to understand when they say that this is a value of theirs, it does not mean that we necessarily have to embrace it. But what it means is that we pay attention to it and it has the potential to be a source of us being a deep encouragement to them. Now let's let's be honest. We we know what our appetites are. We know when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're discouraged. We know what matters to us, right? My friend who was a pastor, he told this story, and it cracks me up every time I think about it. Is that he and his wife had been married for a long time. He came home from one day from work, and on their dining room table, there was a vase, an, an empty vase sitting on the table, and he noticed it the first day, second day, empty vase sitting on the table, third day, empty vase sitting on the table, and so finally, he asked his wife, he said, Jill, so why, why is there an empty vase on the table? And she said, well, well, honey, I, I thought that if you noticed an empty vase on the table, that you'd like to fill it with flowers, because that would be really nice, right? And so the next day she was out and she came home and uh, she walked in the kitchen and saw on the dining room table, a cake pan that that was there. So, so, you know, inside of, of each one of us is an awareness of what we desire, right? We are aware of what matters to us. We are sensitive to the things that we long for. And it's so important for us to understand that even in the teachings of Christ, that he challenged us to be people who are willing to, to be aware of the desires and needs of other people and, and our ability to care for them. We're going to see it in the text today. In our ability to care for them, that we need to actually consider their needs or desires or values at times as even more important to eclipse our own values and preferences and ideas at times. Why? So that we might be able to represent the love of Christ to those individuals that are yet to know him, have not experienced the blessing of knowing him. One of my favorite pastors that I served underneath, his name was Dr. Gene Getz, and he was a bit of a revolutionary pastor um, many years ago, written many books. Some of you have read them. And I was an intern at the church that he pastored at, and um, there was a time period where we had, as interns, a chance to just ask him any question, and uh, this, this moment was very powerful for me. Uh, in, in this encounter with him because we're just asking questions and I, I raised my hand and now when he presented to us, he was wearing a suit and tie um, and he was sitting in the room and it was an evening session or whatever that we were gathered together. And I said, so, so, so Dr. Getz, why is it that you wear what you wear when you do ministry? Like why do you choose to wear a suit and tie? And, and he looked right at me in a way that kind of pierced my heart, honestly. It like looked right through me. And he said, Sean, I, I want you to know that I want to be a person as a pastor and minister of the gospel that, that is committed to not choosing to make decisions about what I wear based on what makes me comfortable or what my preferences are, but I want to be someone who makes decisions about what I wear based upon what is going to help me most reach the people that God's called me to minister to. And I, and I was I was humbled by that because his answer was actually quite incredible right it wasn 't about the suit it wasn 't about the tie it was actually and he shared later that he had had inroads with businessmen in Dallas where we were at and and for him to reach that group of people, it meant suit and tie and, and so for some of us, I think that it 's important for us to not misunderstand that our comfort or our preferences or our desires are the thing. That ought to matter most to us, but instead, uh, see, we're warned of this later in the book of Philippians in chapter two, later at the end, it talks about in chapter two, it says that there are people who will seek their own interest. And I think that that's concerning. And so Paul, as we turn our hearts to the passage of scripture that we're going to study together today, I believe Paul was directly impacted by another passage of scripture that is very meaningful. When the Lord talked about loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we'll, we'll see that in the text. But I think today what we're going to see in our study of the first four book, uh, verses of, of Acts, I mean, so Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses, uh, we're going to see the Apostle Paul encourage us to understand that what matters to others should matter to us and I think he's going to argue through honest encouragement that those impacted by the gospel, like you and I, and he's going to use an interesting way of describing it, that we should care more about the needs of others than our own needs. And he's going to use a, a form of argumentation that is, is in Greek, a first-class condition, which is an if-than statement. And in this if-than statement, he's going to assume that when the original uh, readers read this, when it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, that their answer, you can almost hear them say it out loud, is absolutely there's an encouragement in Christ. When he says, if there is any agreement or unity, and he's going to go through this list. And as I read these verses, I just want you to understand, he's saying that they, you guys get this. Or he's saying, if you get this, the benefits and the, the blessings of the gospel then it ought to lead you to be somebody who cares about the needs of those who are around you. This is Paul's, Paul's teaching to his friends in Philippi that we're going to experience suffering because of the sake of the gospel. He says this in Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Please follow along with me. He says, for So if there, this is that if-then statement, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. This is the tone of a a loving parent that's speaking to his loved ones and he's saying, I want to see this in your life. He says, if there's any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he really challenges us. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. I, I think for some of us, when we read that last sentence, there's a part of us that says, well, wait a second, we, we don't have to agree with him. Of course not. We have to filter everything through the authority of God's word. Does it align with the truth of God's word? But, but I want you to just catch this. I think that it's possible for some of us that we are pushing away people who have the potential of loving the Lord, loving and experiencing the blessings of the gospel because of the fact that we are making our preferences or our priorities more important than the things that they need to hear about the simple truth of the gospel, let's let's be honest. Uh, you and I um, have thoughts about our neighbors, right? Don't you have thoughts about your neighbors? We all have, we all have neighbors. Um, when when I first moved, when we first moved into our community, um, we uh, this would have been what eight nine years ago we moved in. Is that right? Eight. So when we moved in eight years ago, we um, uh, in the, the first week that they, we were there, we had somebody who walked up the to the door and. And, and I'll admit to you, like I was wondering, is this like cookies? I hope it's chocolate chip, you know? Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's cake or something. They walked up, but it was actually um, somebody who was bringing us a piece of paper that said that our trash cans were not in compliance with the policies of the community. Like that's literally what it was. And, and so, so now we live in a cul-de-sac. And, and by the way, some of you are like, wow, they must live in a, a you know. A, Hoity toity? No, we don't. Like, it's not that impressive. Uh, we don't live in a fancy neighborhood. But, 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 but one of my neighbors—I'm assuming there's about a dozen of them in our little little cul-de-sac. Uh, one of them noticed my trash cans and our trash cans. I like to think of that. And uh, and and one of them, you know, decided that they had to call the city to tell them that we weren't in compliance with the trash can policy. Um, so, so what I decided to do is put all my trash in the front yard, just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, so we complied, right? We, we did what was asked of us. And, and then I remember from here at Hope, there was a family here at Hope that during COVID when it was a kind of the, the, the recognition that there were some people, especially that weren't able to leave their homes or care for their community. Someone from Hope shared with us a letter that they had sent to their neighbor's and it was just basically like, whatever you need, like, we're here to serve you. We want to help. And so we borrowed that letter and we sent that around to our neighbors. And, and I'll just admit, like, I kind of wanted to kill my neighbors with kindness at this point, right? Uh, I'm being silly, but I, I actually did, though, want to make sure, like, we we, we we moved the trash cans. We got it. But beyond that, I also wanted to make sure that they understood that we care about them. We we recognize our neighbors. We want to be people who love them. And so who cares about the issues in the past? What, what we desire to do is to recognize the fact that there's something inside of us that is more important to us than anything else. And I, uh, I share that not to glorify us, but to recognize, I think, the spirit of this. Somebody after the first service said this well, is that they talked about somebody in their family that wasn't a believer, and they were just bringing up something like recycling or caring for the environment or whatever. And they watched a fellow believer kind of go at them, like, don't you understand this? And this doesn't really help. And, and, and my friend in the first service shared something that I thought was really helpful is, that, is that, that that's probably not the spirit of what we want to be a part of. We want to actually be a part of saying, okay, so this person that I'm talking to that probably doesn't know Christ from their testimony. It cares about something. And so the fact that we know that they care about something allows us to have an opportunity to be winsome and encouraging and to recognize what it means for us to speak truth and love into their situation. And I think that's what the Lord asks of us. In this passage, when we see these verses in the first four verses of Philippians, I think it's important for us to understand that he's persuading them. I also see in this another passage, an encounter with Jesus where um, Jesus had a man who came up to him, a religious man, and he said, what does it mean for me to enter the kingdom of heaven? And and Jesus' answer back to him in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, he said this to him, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then he he, he stopped there. He didn't say anything more. No, actually, what you see in the text is he goes on to say, so, so you worship God with everything that you've got. And I see heart, soul, mind, and strength in the Philippians passage as well. But then he goes on to say, and... I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy starts to do what I think you and I like to do, and that is he starts to define his neighbor. All right, so the people who are my neighbors, those are the people who agree with me, right? Those are the people who look like me or who have the same values that I hold. Or the, and then Jesus went on to tell the story that many of us are familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan. And he defines neighbor in that context as somebody who actually has a different religious belief system. A person that may not completely look like you all of the time. And he shares with them a winsome value that says, actually, we care for people who are people just because they're designed in the image of God. They're, they're valuable because God says that they're valuable. And so, so I see in this the tone that is essential, and that is we care about what they care about because we know the God that created them and he, comp- he knows them perfectly. and He desires to have a personal and intimate relationship with each one of them. Th- this leads to um, a point that I think is helpful this morning and that is you and I have the privilege of sharing joy together. We get to see this modeled for us in these first two verses in a particular way of Philippians. So, when he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That word's wonderful, the same indistinguishable love, being in full accord and of one mind. I, I get the image of a symphony, if you've been to a symphony that's done with people who are professional, gifted, skilled, that, that in the in the multitude of instruments when they're they're aligned in what they're playing or what they're doing, that, that you do you lose the individual in that process, and it just becomes something together. That's overwhelming and it's powerful because of their alignment. I think that's what he desires for us to experience in the church. And and here we get to share, I want to share four of them. We get to share the same heart. The text says same love in Christ. Uh, If there's any any comfort from his love, we get to experience the, the love of Christ together. Gordon Fee says it this way. He says, love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. I think that keeps consistent with what we see in the text. So we get to share the same heart. We get to share the same soul or the same spirit. His next statement here is, if there's any participation in the spirit, I think that we get to join together through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of his comfort. The third is we get to share the same mind Uh, and, And these words are great. If there's affection and sympathy, having the same mind. And then he says, being in full accord with one mind. We share the same thoughts. We collaborate together. We're unified together. And so this affection is for and from one another. We get to benefit from sharing together in the shared goals that we have together. And then finally, we benefit from one another's strength. Um, When it says, is there any encouragement in Christ? I think we're filled with courage to keep moving forward and we're comforted by Christ's steadfast love. I think that it's appropriate for me when I think about even my neighbors and I think about the challenges at times that are associated with that, that we, we don't always care about them, do we? In fact, sometimes they're the source of frustration for us. Sometimes they feel like they get in the way. But I think that the desire here, as it's described here by Christ and by the Apostle Paul, is that the desire is for us to allow ourselves to be people who are winsome and encourage them and are a source of blessing for them. And I I find that to be the second point, last point this morning, and to be very helpful for me, is that you and I can help others to find joy. Uh, In verse 3, it says it like this. It says, do nothing... That's uh, all inclusive. Do nothing from selfish ambition or from conceit. Uh, Some of your translations will say vain conceit. And I want you to unpack this. So selfish ambition is actually a word that we get the word mercenary from. And I want you to think about that concept that your allegiance is basically like, what benefits me? You don't, you don't care who you're fighting for, but you're just trying to fight for what benefits you most. And that's, that's I think, a temptation for some of us, that we, we want to care for our own needs. Um, he also uses the term vain conceit. And, and this is what draws attention to us. My my uh, my in-laws uh, historically have served on Thanksgiving morning uh, at a, an Akron food bank, uh, and they help to serve Thanksgiving meals to to individuals that may not have an option on that special Thursday morning. And they've shared some stories with us of celebrities in our community that come in and. Um, instead of rolling up their sleeves to get busy and serve for the the hours of service they come in um, they they pass a, a tray across the thing there's there 's photographers there to note it and, and then they move on to to the rest of their thanksgiving day right like that they're they 're doing it to be recognized or noticed and I think that that 's just the opposite of what 's being described here it 's not about others recognizing something, but instead it's a, an ability to be able to uh, you know, show and serve in a way that's sacrificial, that's sincere. And, and I just think that it's powerful when we read this. So he says, um, he says to us by understanding this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not to his own interest but to the interests of others. And uh, one one theologian describes this as the fulcrum that allows us to live the Christian life with integrity. This is so essential. And I love this. Um, I grew up. Um, Titus Elementary School, they had a teeter-totter, um, and it was awesome. It was huge, and it was like this death trap, okay? Uh, I don't even know if they do teeter-totters like this anymore. You guys know what I mean, teeter-totter, right? Some of you are like, oh, I can show you the scar, right? Uh, so at Titus Elementary School, they had this teeter-totter. We loved that thing, big metal thing or aluminum. I don't know what it was made out of, but uh, it was giant. It was really long, and, and you know that the rule uh, with teeter-totters is you've got to have somebody on the other side that's about the same weight. Um, and if it's a really big one, when you're really high up in the sky, often what somebody would do on the other side is they'd hop off so you like basically fell to your death, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. I, I love this this image as he describes this, that you and I ought to be people who care about other people that are on this journey with us. And, and we ought to not neglect them or harm them. And then this description um, but we should count them as more significant than ourselves. So, so, so I've said it multiple times today, but I want us to, to ask ourselves the question, when I consider the interest of others, um, what does it mean for me to be a person who cares and allows their interests to allow me to grow in my wisdom and understanding of them? Uh, it, it's helpful for me to put it into words, and I think this is helpful, that what matters to me should matter, what matters to them should matter to me. And, and I think I'm extra sensitive, and I'm going to be transparent with you for a while, that I'm, I'm, I'm actually sensitive to the fact that often something that that comes across my mind is is that, that I don't really like this. Like this isn't, this is my, this is not my preference, or this is not easy for me, or this doesn't fit what I prefer. And I want to challenge us in a particular way this morning, and Pastor Tyler hasn't asked me to talk about this. I'm not addressing, as our worship pastor, I'm not addressing someone who's been extra harsh or challenging. I just want to share an application for me, and that is I recognize my preferences when it comes to worship and and actually, for me, when it comes to worship, I grew up. I, I was born in the 70s. I um, came to Christ young, and so like worship for me early on, um, it it sounded like some contemporary praise that now is very old school from people like Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, so maybe some Christian rock, Petra. There's like I can throw out these names, right? And, and so for me, when I came to Christ um, at you know, seven, eight years old and I went to concerts, you know, I can keep throwing out names, That, that imprinted on me a style and form of worship that was just natural for me. In fact, if you come over to my office sometime and you're always welcome, I can rock out with you with some old school Michael W. Smith or some Stevie. I I, I play these these CDs, sorry. Uh, I might even have a cassette somewhere, right? Um, But I I play them because for me, when I first worshipped, they were the the mode that I worshipped in. And I want to understand that that... That 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 tattooed something to me that was very significant, valuable, and meaningful to me. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that that I have the time machine and I can travel back in time to go visit the Apostle Paul in um, in this this Roman house arrest. Chained to a Roman guard. I go hang out with him. I take my Walkman with me or whatever. And and I let him, I put on his ears. Can you guys picture this? This is awesome, right? Um, I put on his ears my Walkman. I let, let him listen to a cassette from the kind of worship that was meaningful to me. And I'm guessing to him, it would sound quite interesting, right? It would be quite unusual, or it might even come across as something that he wouldn't understand or whatever. And I want you to remember then as well. Okay, so maybe that's not his thing. So I get out the hymns that were representative of a history of heritage that were meaningful, and I record them, and I take them to the Apostle Paul, and I let him listen to him, and it would be the same thing for him because you understand that they were new at one time in history, right? You understand that there was a group of people who said, oh, these hymns, they're just so newfangled, they go go against my value, or they're too loud, or they're too, whatever. There was a time period where, you guys know, if you do research, that a lot of our hymns were sanctified bar songs um, that were meaningful in the day, that they added wonderful lyrics to. And some of those lyrics, for some of us, they mean everything to us, right? They're valuable, they're a blessing. But I want you to understand something, and that is, as we aspire to reach other individuals for the sake of the gospel, we never—and I got to say this—we never compromise the truth. It's never in question. It's never that—never that we say we don't care about truth or we, we don't want to value truth. That's not what we're talking about. But at times. We are willing to recognize that there may be other styles or, or there may be timely things that communicate to a different generation differently. And, and I say the reason why I think that's so valuable is I think that's hard at times for us to remember. My wife reminded me of this, that, that one of the churches that we served at, and, and I, I want to say this again, uh, some of you need to hear me say, I'm not directing this toward anyone. Uh, I have not received a complaint that I'm addressing. Or some of you are like, man, Sean, did Tyler pay you to say this? No. Uh, actually, I, I think Tyler's doing an incredible job. And I'm so grateful for him. But one of our worship pastors that we served under underneath, he was preaching on a Sunday morning. And he he shared this with us. He, he talked about a very similar concept that we're talking about today, that sometimes our preferences are things that we need to pay attention to and recognize that we have them, but, but that there may be others that have a different set of preferences. And part of the challenge in ministry, multi-generational ministry, is that we have to navigate that recognition that it may be received differently by different people. And he said in that church, they had two powerful, like big, strong, small groups. I guess, I don't know powerful is the right word. How about vocal? We'll say that. Two vocal small groups that were in the church. And and he shared from the pulpit. He said, you know, it was very interesting for me. Early on, he was a newer worship leader. And he said, "Um, I I heard from, from this one small group about the fact that, uh, the worship is too too loud, it's too high energy, I don't understand the lyrics. There's, like, and he went through his list, and he said, what's incredible is almost the same number, I get uh, comments from this other small group that they say it's too quick, quiet, not energetic enough, There's, it's too slow, it's too old school. And, and he, he looked at the congregation, Ali and I are in it, and he's like, so what am I supposed to do, Right. Well well the truth of the matter is you maintain your values you never compromise on truth But then beyond that, what you do is you recognize that it's okay for it to not always be in our heart song, right? It's okay for it to not always feel like the first time that we worshiped and to have to look at this. I haven't made you listen to Michael Michael Curtis. I'm making it up now. Michael W. Smith ever before here, right? Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of you are like, bring it back, Sean, bring it back. Now, some of you don't even know who I'm talking about, but the, the reason why I'm saying this is I'm saying that for us to understand this appropriately, I think that uh, Romans 12.10 puts it like this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another with showing love, that that I think really what we're doing is we're just saying, I recognize that it's really not about us. We recognize that um, that it, it is important for us as the text describes it to look Not look into your own interests, but to care about the interests of others. And I think the the way that we evaluate ourselves is to be able to ask ourselves the question, is selfish ambition a part of the reason why I'm pushing back? In other words, is this what I think is best for me? Is it vain conceit? Um, Have I allowed myself to become more significant than actually the worship that it represents or whatever topic we're talking about? Is it it conceit or a state of pride that makes me want to draw attention to myself? And so that deep question, I don't like this. If you find yourself asking that question, somebody wrote a really helpful book about this, and it's actually genuinely helpful, and the title is, Who Stole My Church? And and the question is is, um, asking something that's common for some of us, and it's like, wait a second, they're doing it differently Than what I originally experienced, and I don't like it. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves what is it that we're fighting to keep or to maintain? And I just love this this recognition that the Lord Jesus teaches us how to do this right. Now, I want you to take you back in time to a moment in history when the Lord Jesus entered into a room that we know of would, would be the upper room where the Last Supper took place. And we get this interesting glimpse of what happened on that day. And I'll remind you, in that culture that the Lord Jesus was in with his disciples, that everybody kind of knew what the pecking order was. Everybody knew who deserved to have the seat of honor next to Jesus on his right side. Everybody that walked in, they understood that there were dynamics at play based on age. and, And all this. that's just culturally common. And they walked into this room where in some parts of that culture, there would have been somebody there whose job it was, not one of the disciples, to wash the feet, the dirty feet of the people who are wearing sandals all day, walking and all kinds of stuff, before they'd sit cross-legged at the table next to their food. So it was a tradition, but it was often done by somebody else, somebody else whose job it is to do this thing. And, And so the awkward moment, I can just... Picture it, if I could go back in time, that the disciples walk into this place, and they're probably looking for the person whose job it is to wash their feet, not because they were entitled, I don't think, but because it was just culturally common, and and there wasn't that person. And so now in the awkwardness of that moment, who's going to do it? Who's going to wash the feet? And, And you could just picture the guys be like it ain't me, right? Or that, that, that's his job, right? Or that's, like, there's this moment when the expectation is, maybe maybe this is somebody else's responsibility. This is below me. And you know what happened, right? You remember that that our Savior, who teaches us how to love people, even if they don't always share the same values as you do, that the Lord Jesus bends down, And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples and it gets even more awkward because they know that he's in charge. They know he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They know that he is their their rabbi, their teacher. But Jesus taught them a lesson that I think some of us need to remember today. And that is the natural tendency for us is to be on the side of being aware of what I like, what, what I want, how it feels to be served. But instead, what we see here is this Lesson from Jesus that teaches us that we ought to be people who, with humility, and I think Jesus personifies this concept of humility as it's described here, with humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Can can we be honest that's not natural for us? Can, Can we be honest that that's hard for us sometimes? Can we be honest that we're aware of our preferences and our likes? but that Jesus taught us through his humility what it means to see others from his perspective. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, British pastor, um, tells a story of, of somebody who came up to him and asked him about humility. How do I grow in my humility? And um, the, the way he describes it, I'll just read it. I think it's it's helpful. He says, "How can I be humble to Pastor Lloyd, L- Martin L- Lloyd Jones?" And he says, he felt this man who came to the pastor felt like he had some pride, and he wanted to know how to get rid of it. And and he seemed to think that he had um, some, that that uh, Pastor Martin Lloyd Jones would have some patent remedy um, that he could tell him, do this, do that, and then you'll be humble. But I I said to him, to be honest, I I have no method or technique. I can't tell you to get down on your knees and believe in prayer because I'm guessing that over time you'll actually allow that to be a source of pride. Then he went through some other things. I'm not going to tell you those religious acts, but he said, there's only one way to be humble and that is to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot be anything else when you see him. That's the only way. Humility is not something you can create within yourself. Rather, you look at him. You realize who he is and what he has done, and that leaves you humbled. It reminds me of that wonderful hymn that we love to sing, that turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Do you guys remember it? And it says, the things of this world will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace. I think that's an awesome description of it. And so for us to understand humility. It means that we understand the Christ. uh, The God who died on behalf of our sins. That in his last moment said. Father forgive them. For they know not what they do. Because of his recognition of the need for us. to, To be people who are aware of his sacrificial. Life giving sacrifice on all of our behalf. So Christ teaches us what it means to understand a life of joy. And I think the life of Christ helps us to understand that. I think the last thing that I'll share with you this morning is that you and I can forget our own struggles when we focus in on the struggles or helping the struggles of others. We can forget about our own struggles when we focus in on helping the struggles of others. I think for some of us, that may be one of the most profound things that we can learn from a man who penned these words that we're studying today when he was under duress. He's, he's unfairly, unreasonably shackled to a Roman guard. His circumstances were difficult. The prognosis was not positive. And so you'd expect, if I'm writing that letter, if I'm being vulnerable with you, I'm in this predicament. Uh, when I'm writing a letter to my friends in Philippi, I'm probably sharing a little bit of my circumstances. I'm complaining because of the fact that people are treating me unfairly. I'm asking them to pray for me in my struggle and crisis. I'm reminding them not to forget about me. But do you notice what the apostle Paul does in this? We're going to study all four of these chapters and we're just going to see, you know what he's saying? I care about you. I notice that you're suffering as well. I'm willing to reach out and pray for your joy. And I want to encourage you. I want to fill you with the courage to keep moving forward. And for some of us, I think when we read ancient texts like this, we we say something in the back of our mind like, man, if if he was living in a time like ours that's so difficult, he would maybe not be able to write these same things. I just want you to know he was in a worse situation than you and I are in. I mean, absolutely worse situation than you and I are in. And so in that context, he did something so profound, and that was he was able to see joy in the midst of a time period of great pain. And so, so you and I are, are people that should, and I, I'm going to ask you as we apply this to our lives this morning, um, like, like, what is it? that would allow us to care about what matters to others? What is it that would allow us to stop filling in the blank like that parrot story of what we think that they need or what's going to be best for them and ignoring what they truly need or what's truly valuable to them? We want to be people who listen, who pay attention, who care with the eyes of a missionary that is recognizing that the way they are is not the rest of the story but instead that they may need what's most essential. And I love that image of them. Maybe they're starving for something that we actually have the opportunity to give. I think Jesus lived that way. I think the apostle Paul lived that way. I think Peter, even on the stems of the temple, when he looked at the, the beggar who was uh, was sick and he said to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. And then he gave him what he needed most. And I think that that's the winsomeness and blessing that we have as Christ followers. The the next application question that I ask for you is, how is it that we can show that we care about the things that we, that others care about? How is it that we can show them that? I think it, it means that we personify the quick to listen, slow to speak, abounding in love commandment that we have in Scripture. That we pay attention to what they pay attention to that we're sensitive to it. And I'm not saying, and I keep saying it today, I'm not saying that we condone it or that we agree or that we embrace it in our life. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're sensitive and aware of it so that we can be an encouragement to spur them on to their understanding of their need for Christ. I think that it's helpful to understand that Jesus embodied this in his lifestyle and his death and his compassion And I think that it's appropriate for us to ourselves ask the question, what does that look like for me to live today in that type of mindset? What does it mean for me to live that way in my work, school, in the environments that I have and with my family? Um, By the way, the holidays are coming, right? You know, the weather's changing and you're going to sit at that Thanksgiving meal together and you're going to have an opportunity. Uh, And I think a natural temptation for some of us is going to be to make them want to value the same things that we value. And I think the way we begin that process is being aware of what's valuable to them. I want you to hear one last time these words from the Apostle Paul. They're so helpful. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. May we personify that in the way we live our lives today. I'm gonna to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna receive our tithes and offerings. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the, this powerful truth that I admit today is humbling to me, Uh, because I've got a lot of work to do in this area in my life. I also want to thank you for the examples of those who've gone before us, who've modeled this beautifully. I pray for us as we close out this time in worship, that we would respond to you appropriately in spirit and truth. I also pray as we give, I want to celebrate and thank you those who give sacrificially here as unto the Lord, believing that you're worthy of our best. I celebrate that. We also recognize, Lord, that you have the ability to take our little fishes and loaves, our offerings to you, when we give them not grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully, and you can multiply them to bring yourself glory and honor. I pray, Lord, today that you would do that, that we would be able to give willingly, not grudgingly, but also as it's been given, that it would represent our worship to you, trusting and believing that you're worthy and that you can do mighty things through our sacrificial investment in your kingdom. I also pray as we close out our time in worship, Lord, that you would allow it to be the sincere and authentic cry of our hearts, that it would represent um, our faithfulness and desire to respond to your goodness in our life. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.